Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Thank you for joining the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. My name is Christine and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I would like to thank my friend, Jesse. Jesse, you know who you are, um, who is sponsoring today's episode. Um, he is a friend of the show, a friend of mine, and a friend to all of us in recovery. So I'm very, very grateful, Jesse. Thank you so much. He actually showed up one morning at my office um, to pay for an episode and brought me donuts. So there's a, that's all, I know, right? That's always a bonus. So anyway, without further ado, Jesse, thank you. I love you. Um, thank uh, you, Jesse. Th- amen. Well, and today... What what we do, we have Kathy O. Now, Kathy, I wasn't sure how oh, clearly you're on video, so um, I wasn't sure how much you pr- um, practiced anonymity. Um, so I always try to be respectful. So, so Kathy O is on the show today, and so I've met Kathy through Recovery Pages, um, and that is a great resource. You know, so if yeah. you're in recovery. In my humble opinion, in-person meetings is where it's at. That's how the program was written, um, you know, of of Alcoholics Anonymous, at least, um, and and all of the anonymouses after that meetings um, that were birthed through through AA were written to be done in person. But online, there is some great groups, you know, that that you can... There really are. Yeah, that you can become a member of and just really uh, get some experience, strength, and help from those. So... Um, I met Kathy there, and Kathy graciously agreed to come on the show. And Kathy, what we do, man, is we just we just share, you know, what it was like, what happened, and what we're like now, you know, because we just yeah. we just want to reach that that person who's still suffering. Um, so, right. you know, yeah, just I'll, I'll interject, and I'm sure interrupt you a time or two, not intentionally, yeah. as we do. So, I just want to hear all the things about you for, th- and thank you so much for agreeing to come on and talk to me. Oh my gosh, thank you for inviting me. What a privilege it is. I count it as just an incredible blessing. Thank, thank you. you. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure where you want me to start. Wherever you uh, you feel led to. But I will tell you, I'll start with the good part. <laughs> okay. Um, I have been married to my husband for 24 years next week. Congratulations. Uh, Happy anniversary. Yeah. Like restoration and redemption are real things in my life and in the life of those around me Mm -hmm. uh, often. Um, I have been really, really fortunate and um, blessed to have walked through homelessness, prostitution, all the things that happen when you're on the street um and come out the other side. Wow. So there's there's a plethora of things that happened along the way. Um 
So when I messaged you, I told you that I am a person in long-term recovery, Mm -hmm. meth and alcohol. Um, Currently, food is what I'm working on. Um, My brain likes to overdo all the things. We sure do, don't we? We sure do. Yes. So (laughs) I'm constantly working. God's constantly got something going on with me to kind of help me walk through um, whatever it is that that I'm recovering from that day. So these days it's food. Gotcha. Um, but uh, God has been so gracious to me and in allowing me to be free from uh, meth use, um, alcohol and cigarettes and all the things, gambling. My goodness, if it could be done, I probably did it <laughs> and, you know, then overdid it. Gotcha. Because that's how I roll. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was on the street in Arizona for probably two years, two and a half years, which seems like a really short time, um, but it felt like forever. Oh, I'm mad. How old were you when you first had your first drink or drug? Do you My remember? first drink. I grew up in a very. Um, conservative evangelical home um and um i had my first drink of alcohol i think when i was 16 okay with friends okay um not counting the sip of alcohol i had when i was 12 at my grandma's it was a sip gotcha but it was at 16 when all of it sort of broke loose the the alcohol um, that's where I discovered cocaine. That's when I discovered meth. Oh, wow. That, um, at the same age? Yes. Really? Okay. Yes. Um, and so I I hadn't really gotten into it at that point. I just discovered it. So Alcohol, where, were you, just, where were you raised? In Arizona? No. <laughs> so I moved around a lot. I was the constant new girl. My dad kept promoting himself to different places. Gotcha. And so um, I I moved from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. I was born in Brookfield, Wisconsin, then moved to Detroit, then Ohio, then Chicago, then uh, Massachusetts, then New Hampshire, then California. (laughs) Wow, you were the constant new girl, huh? Yeah, it was. that's hard on it a was. kid. That's hard on a kid, it, huh? Not it to, really it, was. once or twice is super hard on a kid. Not to mention, oh wow, okay. Now, were your parents yeah. it, were your parents either addicts for of anything that you know of? No. Really? So, well, yes and no. Here's here's where it gets sticky. I was given up for adoption at birth. Okay. Okay. I was born from a rape. I found that out many years later. Um, and so my mom chose not to raise me. Gotcha. And um, so I was given up for adoption. And the family that raised me were not uh, addicts of any kind. Gotcha. They moderation all the way. That's weird. Uh, I know. <laughs> right? Isn't that weird? That's weird. <laughs> right? I don't get those people. I know, right? It's crazy. If you like something, listen to the song a hundred times. Isn't that what all It just gets better. Right? 
<laughs> I get it. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, so I'm sorry. So go, go ahead. It's 16. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, but my birth parents, my birth dad and my birth mom, I don't know that they were alcoholics or addicts. Um, but I, I think maybe they, they had some excessive use, uh -huh. if that makes sense. Uh -huh. Sure. Uh, but I don't believe that they were, they were, uh, they didn't have the disease of addiction. I gotcha. Like that wasn't, okay. That wasn't part of them. If that answers that question. Sure, sure. So at six, so at 16, where did that lead you? That led me straight to the first time I was, I was raped. Mm. Um, my, I decided to run away. I thought I was, I had this down. I was going to run away. And I was gone for like two weeks. Um, at 16, I didn't do a whole lot. I just experimented and messed around. At 17, it got serious. Oh, wow. And that's when I ran away. And that's when um, I had my first experience trying to work two jobs and go to school. And I discovered that wasn't going to be feasible. So I dropped school. Mm. And I just worked two jobs. But I was tired because I worked one all day and one all night. And so... The night guy said, "Hey, we'll let you, we'll let you not work. You can go in the booth and sleep, but here's how it's going to work, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do." And I thought, "Okay, I'll do that. I need some sleep." Uh -huh. So I I had my first, um, I don't know, it was rape or prostitution or both or right. It was not healthy. Uh -huh. Um, and after about two weeks of that, I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm going home. So I called my mom and I said, I want to come home. She said, come on. So I went. And that night, my parents took me out for dinner and brought me to the care unit, which was uh, a treatment facility in Southern California. Sneaky. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let me tell you, since then, my husband saying, let's go out for dinner is true. No, thank you. Right? <laughs> I know where that, I know where that no, leads. Thank you. <laughs> That's I did I know that where once. That leads. Uh, exactly. I, I've fallen for that again. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, um, it, I went to the care unit. I used to call it my $16,000 uh, 20 day vacation. Mm. And, you know, I, I laughed it off. But I learned a lot in there of things to do and things not to do. Um, and I was first presented the 12 steps in that facility. And I remember thinking, this sounds really weird. I don't think I need to do meetings my whole life. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't have a disease. I just made some bad choices. Like, this is ridiculous. Uh -huh. So I got out of the care unit, went to see my mom. She said, oh, we, we love you, honey, but you're not going to stay here. Oh. That's what I said. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. Mm. And so 
I called the people I was in rehab with. And I said, my mom said, I can't go home, but I've been released. Like, what now? And they said, oh, come on, we got you. So I went to Corona, California with this very wealthy man and stayed on his couch. And then we went to a meeting in Southern California, where I was from, in Orange County. And I found friends and I said, oh, I'm going to leave you. So I, I left him at the meeting and I went back to my old haunt and got a job working at Pizza Hut because isn't that what everybody aspires to? Um, I got a job working at Pizza Hut, met a guy three days later, and then got married six weeks later. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because I thought, you know, I should probably settle down. Now, how old were you at this point? I was, I just turned 18. Oh, wow. That's a lot of activity in just that short year and a half or so. Wow. I turned 18 in the care unit. So that was interesting because they started me in the children's area and had to move me over to the adult area. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, that was a lot. And and I got married and then I got married and lived in base housing and uh had my first child at 19. Hmm. Then we moved to Colorado. And, and he I was, was he was in the service. Clearly. He was in the service. Okay, gotcha. And I was sober and I thought, "Oh, see, it is. It's no not a disease. I'm all done now." Jeez. So we took the my baby, we got out of the service, we went back to Colorado where he was from, and I had another child, and then I had another child, and we just lived a normal life mm -hmm. in the mountains of Colorado. It was not a big deal. It was nothing fancy or special. Drugs were not a part of it at all. Alcohol, of course. But if I didn't think I had a problem, mm -hmm. I was just going to make good choices. It mm -hmm. would be fine. And it was for five years. And then we moved to Arizona as a family, all five of us. And it was not fine. It was not fine at all. I discovered meth in a big way. And... Um, I started using meth regularly. And then I decided I didn't want to be married to my husband anymore. I wanted to be loved and love somebody the way he loved me. Mm. That made sense. Mm -hmm. Like, so we split up and I went to stay with my drug dealer. And I remember looking my children in the face and saying, I can't take you with me because they're bad people. So stay by your dad. He'll take good care of you. Mm. And when it's safe, I'll come for you. Like, my mind was just not mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. I discovered staying up for days and days and days. I discovered that 
because I'm a girl, I have the ability to get just about anything right at any time. Mm -hmm. If I just let my dignity go. Mm -hmm. And I did time and time again. And my husband, who I was separated from, said, Kathy, please, come on. Just, just come on. We'll just take the kids. We'll go back home to Colorado. It'll be fine. And I'm like, nope, I can't. I don't want to be fat for you. I want to be thin for you. So I've got to stay here. Plus, I have asthma. I have to smoke this stuff so that it clears my lungs. I have to, or I'll die. Mm -hmm. So unless you can get me a line up to Colorado, I've got to stay. So he left. He took my kids. I stayed on the street. Um, I was beaten. I was raped. I was arrested. I was chastised. I was lonely and alone. I drove around in cabs for nighttime when I didn't have somewhere to go. And the cab drivers in Bullhead City, Arizona would know they knew me. And so they'd pick me up and they would just let me drive around in the front seat with them and they wouldn't expect anything or ask anything. And I remember one cab driver, I had always said that I hated feet feet I thought were awful they were just the most disgusting things people could ever have like (laughs) feet were nasty I know it's no and I remember this one cab driver driving me around taking time and he's just talking to me and he said did you say your dad was in the footwear business and I said yeah he's a, a sales manager for a footwear company and he said And did you say he was gone a lot? And I said, yeah, he was gone all the time because he was out on sales calls and sales meetings. So he was gone for weeks at a time. He said, I wonder if that could have anything to do with the reason you hate feet so much. Because if there weren't feet, your dad would have been around more. Hmm. And I was thinking, oh. Who needs therapy? People need cab rides. Right? <laughs> what insight. Yeah. Wow. Right? There was another time that I was staying in this apartment with these gentlemen and one of their girlfriends looked me square in the eye and see, she said, why are you here? And I said, well, because I'm his girlfriend. She said, no, you're not. Tell me what you bring to this table. What do you bring to the table of that relationship? And I thought, well, sex, like that that's it. Mm-hmm. She's like, you have nothing to offer. And until you have something to offer, you need to not be in a relationship. I had never heard that before. I thought, okay, all right. Well, thank you for your insight. I'm going to keep, I need a place to say, so I'm going to keep doing what I do, but. Thanks anyway. And then I just took it away for later. I wound up meeting a gentleman by the name of Jeff. Tomorrow is his anniversary of his birthday. Um, He's passed on, but he 
he took me in and he let me stay with him with no expectation. There was no quid pro quo. There was nothing. He said that I was just another person in his home for wayward adults, that he just liked to help people. Wow. I later learned when I got clean that he liked to help people, but he was not a healthy man. Um, and so I got to know him and his son, and we I stayed with them for probably several years. Um, and then I realized he was not healthy, and that was not a good situation, and I left. And I went back to the street. So now how was the, so this has been a couple of years now. How were you yeah. seeing your kids? No. Really? My kids had gone back to Colorado right. with my ex-husband and he had filed for divorce. And I had said that I couldn't, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't get a divorce. I never wanted a divorce. And I was raised to believe divorce was wrong. Mm -hmm. So no, we, we can be split and, but we can't get a divorce. Um, and then he just persisted and I thought, okay, well, we'll split custody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he said, we're not splitting custody. I'm taking the kids and you do you. Mm. And at that moment, I became what I call a motherless child or childless mother. Right. Um, which so many people who find themselves it, it, with substance use disorder find themselves as mm -hmm. childless parents mm -hmm. because kids are, they're, they're the part that falls away. Right. I have such a mad respect for women and men who can get clean and sober with their children because I could never do that. Not in a million years. It would never have happened. Right. Never. But I had been a stay-at-home mom for five years. So all of this trying to work like an actual job I had no skills. Mm -hmm. I didn't even graduate high school. Like, what was I supposed to do? So I got a job at a casino and um, this guy helped me to make a resume. He helped me to try to fight for my kids. This Jeff guy really helped me get off meth. Like, it was in the community that he had that allowed me to discover I didn't need to use the drugs. He gave me a place to recuperate and then he gave me a community to be a part of straight after that. Mm. Um, and so I hung around with him and I hung around with his roommate and um, when I left him, I left with his roommate and I decided I, I really liked his roommate a lot. And his roommate liked me. Mm -hmm. His roommate was 42 and I was 24. 
But I really liked his roommate a lot. And that 24, that's where the alcohol started. Mm. It started big and it started hard. And there wasn't a day in there that I was not drunk and not hungover. I worked at a daycare center. Oh, wow. And I remember I would call in and say, I can't come in. And they would say, you'd lose your job if you don't come in. And I'd say, I'm, I'm still kind of drunk. You have to come in. And I'd, co- I'd go into the daycare center drunk. Mm. Like, I would sit on the floor and help the kids just chill out and then go home when other people showed up. Mm-hmm. And I look back at that and I think that that's ridiculous and so unfair to those parents and those kids. Mm. Eventually that stopped and I just was able to um, drink and take enough time to recuperate so that I was clear headed when I went into work. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's all I knew how to do was take care of people. I was a stay at home mom. Who didn't have any kids to take care of. Right. Like, I cannot stress enough the pain that comes with that loss. Like, every day I remember walking and seeing families with children, seeing parents who were mean to their kids and think, and I would just sob and think, why do they get to have theirs? And I don't, I know I wasn't great, but... I was a good mom when I was a mom. Mm-hmm. I never did get my kids back. They stayed with their dad. Because by the time that I got clean and I discovered that there was hope for me, um, I didn't feel like it was fair to interrupt their life because I was ready now. Like they had a stepmom. She was amazing. Um, And she loved those kids. I mean, she wasn't perfect by any means, but she loved those kids. And she took good care of them. And I thought, you know, I I should stay away. And then the selfishness would creep up and I'd have to call. And then the kids would be so excited. And I would think, this is where I belong. I belong with my babies. And then their dad would say, you don't deserve them. You don't belong with them. You abandon them. Stay away. So I would stay away again for months. And then it would happen again. And I would call and I wrestle with this for years. Mm. I still do sometimes. Like when I'm really stuck in my trauma brain, Mm -hmm. I still wrestle with that thought. So eventually I married uh, the roommate. We call him number two, lovingly. And uh, we were married for about six months before I left. He moved me from Arizona to Wichita, Kansas. And uh, he worked at an aircraft company there. And so... I had, he had known that I was never, ever, ever going to get divorced if I ever got married again. Like, I didn't mean to do it the first time. 
I am not doing it a second time. Right. So you can kill me. I will kill you, but I am divorce is we off the table. Divorced. <laughs> Murder's fine. Divorce, maybe no. <laughs> and so on our wedding night, we drove from the one side of Arizona to the other. <clears throat> on our way to Wichita. And that was the first time he hit me. Mm. And five years, I'd known the man for five years, never hit me. Not one finger. I'll be. On our wedding night, boom. And that continued for six months. Mm. And I was working at the YMCA, CDC. Uh, it's a child development center. Um, in Wichita, Kansas. And uh, he said that, number two said that he didn't think that I should be working. Because if I worked, I'd make friends. And friends are just trouble for me. So I shouldn't work. And I'm like, mm, nope, I'm doing that. I'm working. Yeah. So he made it really difficult for me. He wanted me to make his, like, I had to draw his his bath and his shower at 3 a.m. before he left for work. I had to make sure he had, like, a full meal before he left for work. Or I would pay for it later. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I could go to work. And he would call me multiple times while I was there to make sure I was really there and not talking to people and not making any Wow. He would throw me out. He would take he would take everything from me and throw me out. Um, and we had promised when we moved there there would be no alcohol and there would be no no drugs. And there were neither. It was just plain old abuse. Mm. And um I just couldn't do it. I made a friend and she happened to be married to a police officer. And she said, hey, I don't mean to pry or butt in, but are you okay? And I'm like, I am not okay. Here's what's happening. Here's how this is going. And she's like, you don't have to live that way. And I'm like, no, I deserve it. If you knew where I came from, I deserve it. She said, no, you don't. I'm like, I do. This is like my penance. I mean, I know Jesus paid it all, but I got to pay some. Mm. This is my penance. Right. And um, she said, well, when you're ready, I'll help you. When you're ready, I'll help you. So one night he threw me out and I called her and I said, help. So she got her husband, put her son in the car. They drove to my apartment and they helped me get my things. Larry said, he, my number two, he said he was going to call the police. And so my friend's husband showed the badge and said, they're already here. What can I do for you? Right. <laughs> Please give her room to pack her things and get out. Wow. So I did. I left. But then I felt so bad. And he said he was going to be so good. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that disease of addiction was a disease of more than just substance use. It was a disease of my brain. Like 
I was compelled to go back to him. Mm-hmm. I was addicted to him and I was addi- addicted to the chaos. Right. I hadn't left the chaos in Arizona. I hadn't left the abuse in Arizona. I brought it all with me. Mm. I was just being abused by something else. And the chaos was coming from a different place. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so because I wasn't willing to just get divorced, and I thought I sort of deserved this, I said, let's go to marriage counseling. Because I know you love me and can be a good guy. Like, I saw that. Mm-hmm. So let's go to marriage counseling. So we did. And by we, I mean me, because he said he wouldn't go. So I went by myself and my marriage counselor said, do you know what dating is for? And I said, "Um, no, I mean, to hang out. She said, well, no, there's a purpose for dating. Did you know it's to find the one you're going to marry and see if your your values and, and your morals and and the way you want to live your lives match up. Mm-hmm. I thought there was a reason you're supposed to date people. <laughs> well, it's yeah, you were never a... taught. Yeah, you weren't taught. You you didn't have the the um, opportunity. I mean, the disease grabbed you by the throat. And yeah, that was just, you went it into did. survival mode. It absolutely did. So she said, Larry came one time for half of a half of a session and I said do you think he loves me do you think it's going to be okay do you think it'll be all right she said well I think maybe sure he does love you but let's let's look further and I guess it's a matter of what you want to sacrifice to get to that love I'm like well anything we're married I have to and she said well would you sacrifice your life because I think that's an option Mm. And I remember thinking, no, that wasn't what I meant. No, <laughs> no. But then I thought, you know what? You're just not good for me. You're trying to sway me. No. So I stopped seeing her because she was wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oy. <clears throat> so... I drew the line when I got the flu, like influenza flu. Mm -hmm. And I had to go to the doctor. And Larry didn't believe that I was sick. He just thought I was being lazy. So he wanted a note from the doctor stating that I was actually sick. And when I would be well. So I had to get a note for my husband, not for work, for my husband. And then I had to go do laundry with the flu. And I thought, this is stupid because we lived in an apartment. I had to go to a laundromat. Mm -hmm. So I did. And I did the laundry. And I folded it. And I sobbed. And I put it in the car. I called him from from the laundromat. Said, the laundromat has your keys. Your laundry's folded in bins. It's in your car. Here's where it's parked. I'm out. Wow. And I left. 
And that day, I first started to heal. Like, prior to that, I stopped using. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But there was no healing. Right. The day I left number two, healing began. Well, and let's let's pause there for a, for a second, Kathy. That that's the that's a beautiful, if you'll allow me, that's a beautiful example of the difference between being sober, yeah, and in recovery. Yes, being sober, I I would eat a bullet if I just had to be sober. Right. Right. You and me both. Yes. Try to do it again. But in you recovery, that's when the healing starts. And that's yeah. when the beautiful life starts. So tell me more about that. Yeah. So it, it was rocky. It was hard. It was a long road. I called my parents and I said, here's what's happened. I'm getting divorced for the second time. I don't know what to do. I have horrible credit. I have no way to do any of this. I have this job. I can go get a different job too. But I, like, I don't, I don't know how to people or be a person by myself. Mm-hmm. And my mom said, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to put you up in an apartment. We'll get you set up and we'll get you started. She said, I'm going to pay for three months of your apartment. Then you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get you a car. It was just this little beater of a car, but it was mine. And I treasured that little sucker. And she said, we'll get you put together. And I got this little uh, garage walk up and uh, in downtown Wichita, Kansas, it was, I guess, a bad neighborhood, but I didn't know. It was beautiful. Houses were gorgeous and old and I got my very own two-bedroom place. It was so exciting. I bet. And recovery was slow. Like, I still drank sometimes, and I kept trying to fool with myself. Like, well, if I just drink on Saturdays, that'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) And if I just drink on da-da-da, that'll be okay. But I was really lonely. Even though I had friends, I was lonely. So I had one of my one of my friends help me put up uh, a personal ad on yahoo.com. This was what 25 years ago. Sure. <clears throat> and uh, I met this one guy because I was my parents were in Philadelphia at this time and I thought, okay, so if I have somebody to go just hang out with in Philly, then I could like escape my parents' house and have some fun and do some stuff. That'll be great. So I was looking for somebody in Philly. And there was this guy who said in his profile that he had gorgeous green eyes and um, he spelled everything correct. (laughs) And, And I thought, oh, he sounds like a really you know, arrogant keeper, but he could be a keeper. Mm -hmm. So I messaged him and I messaged a couple other people too. I was drinking. And the next day I got a message from this guy. And he and I started talking and we started talking and talking and we talked for months 
and months and months. And that was in September. And I met him face to face in January. Well, December 30th, because he was coming to my house to spend New Year's. Mm. And it just so happened he was Canadian, but he didn't know where to put. We were both new to the computer. So because they had just come out. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and he had put his ad in Yahoo and put it in uh, the Northeast because he thought, well, at least somebody could come up by his way. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll meet somebody who. The transit time wouldn't be very long. He was the nicest guy. He never did drugs. He, when I said I used to be a prostitute and homeless and on drugs, he didn't run. And I was like, what a nice guy. I don't like nice guy. Like, I don't do nice guys. So I worried and I thought this is going to be a problem. But it wasn't a problem. We connected. We connected. And we talked. And I remember at that period of time, in there somewhere, between that September and January, I went to church. And is it okay to talk about that? Sure. You, honey, you tell your story. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I went to church and um, the youth were leading the service at, on that Sunday night. And they did this little skit about, um, about garbage. And they, they had this like little makeshift garbage truck that stopped off and picked up all these uh, pretend people's garbage places and emptied their garbage and the truck came and picked it up and took it away then the next day the truck came and he dropped it back off and the kids said what what are you doing we just gave you this junk yesterday why are you giving it back to us we don't want it we just gave it to you and the truck driver said yeah you did thank you for that Now I'm giving it back to you. And if you'll notice, it's packaged a little differently. And each person pulled out a package. It wasn't garbage anymore. It was something that was formed, made beautiful and usable. Something they could take with them that had power. Mm. And I remember just sitting in the back, just sobbing tears running down my face thinking you mean all that I've been through in the last eight years has a purpose like like I could heal from this and it could mean something and I said this was my big come to Jesus moment here pay attention I remember saying God I know you're real And I know you say you can do stuff. So if you can do better than I can, you have at it. You just do your thing. I'll step out your way. You just do it. Because I'm I'm just done. And 
when I tell you from that moment for the next 25 years, my life has been day and night different. Little by little, restoration and redemption have just shined through everything that's gone on. I married that internet guy. Did you? I did. <laughs> and we've been married for 25 years. Wow. He's number last. Well, there 24. You go. I love that. And for the first 10 years of our marriage, walking through recovery, I didn't know what it looked like. And I had no one to walk through with. The rooms were not a place for me. Yeah. I did not find my healing there. I know so many do. I couldn't. I tried. And I just felt so shameful. Mm. I needed a place where my shame could go. And so it went to the foot of the cross because that's the only place I knew to put it. Mm -hmm. And um, since then, God has just flipped me completely around. Like everything that was is not. And I call it kingdom beautiful because I don't know any other scenario where somehow prostitution, homelessness, um, substance use, gambling and all the things could be flipped around and made beautiful somehow, but somehow he did. And it is. So eventually I decided that I felt like I was being called to be a pastor. <laughs> Prostitute pastor. I love it. Right. And I was a youth pastor, like going through my credentialing process. And I found, can I read scripture? Is that okay? Sure. Not usually. It's just such a big part of my recovery story. Uh -huh. Like it can't not. Um, I read this. Here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof. Public sinner number one of someone who could have never made it apart from sheer mercy. And now he shows me off evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. Mm. Now, that's the message uh, version. I call it the Bible for dummies. Oh, it's that's just my really favorite. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't catch <laughs> that, it's a version of the Bible called the message. Um, Eugene, I can't remember his last name. Peterson. Uh, Peterson. Yes. Uh, I put that book together and it's just for someone because my faith is only 11 and a half years old. So, okay. so it was one of those I, I, I love because it's not offensive to call it the Bible for dummies. It's just puts it in a term because I was, yeah, anyway, I could get on a big soapbox about that. But yes, if you, if you are new to the Bible, intimidated by the Bible, just go get the message. Go get the message, and yeah, it'll ch it'll change your life for sure. It it makes it so readable and applicable. Yes. Like when I read that, especially having had that moment way back when, because mm -hmm. there were ten years between when I read that verse in the message and when that skit took place. Oh wow! And 
okay. in retrospect to see how those two things were woven together. Right. Like God has healed me on his own. Like I, I didn't, I didn't follow a program. I didn't have anybody to walk with me. I didn't have a sponsor. It was just God and me. Mm-hmm. And it was him first. Mm-hmm. And he healed me through my husband. Because I didn't understand that love really could be unconditional, that love really could stay, that that love could last. Well, and I would think that, and love doesn't hurt. Oh, gosh. It doesn't hurt. No. It doesn't hurt. Mm-mm. He's the first person, when he said forever to me, I was like, I think that could be a thing. I remember calling my grandma saying, I think that could be a thing. (laughs) She was married to my grandpa for 60 years. And so she's like, of course, it's a thing, Kathy. And I can't wait for you to find forever. Mm. That was beautiful. I love that. I remember my dad walking me down the aisle and him saying to me, okay, Kathy, are we ready now? Is is this the last one? Are we done now? I'm like, I think we are. I had to bring that like, up. Think, <laughs> uh-huh, but I think this is it. Yep, wow. I think this is it. So what all and has been restored in your life now? My goodness. Okay, so I was blessed to be able to, I'm going to cry. That's okay. God gave us tears when we just don't have the words. Yep. I was blessed to be able to have, to be a foster parent. I couldn't raise my own kids, but I was a foster parent. So I got to raise children and be a part of their healing. And while I was part of their healing, they helped me to heal. Mm -hmm. Like it was just so perfectly woven and symbiotic. And then my son, my middle child that I gave birth to, wanted to come and stay. I got to be reunited with my children. Wow. Now, the whole time that I was on the street, I wouldn't stay with anybody that didn't have three bedrooms uh-huh. um, in case my kids wanted to come. That was part of my, like, Delusion. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I never stayed anywhere or had any places with my husband or otherwise that my kids wouldn't fit in case they could come. Well, they finally came. And I had room for all of them, but they came one at a time. And I got to have a relationship with my oldest daughter and my son. And my baby, and my baby was eight months old when I left, Mm -hmm. when my husband. So she didn't even know me. Like she didn't know anything about me. And today, she's probably one of my very best friends. Like we call each other, we text each other, we tell each other all the things. 
She's just such a good girl. And I am just so proud of the woman that she is. And um, my oldest daughter is married to a gentleman in the Navy. And she and I talk and we're good friends. And like, I get to be their mom. That's amazing. Right? My son came to live with us. And when he came to live with us, he was 15. And he had a thousand porn stars on his MySpace when he came to live with us. Oh, and goodness. I asked his dad, did you, did you happen to monitor anything you did? He said, no. Thank you. So my son had a lot of trauma. He was two when I left. Mm. And he was my baby. And so I had this 15-year-old angry two-year-old. Wow. Yeah. Emotionally frozen at that age. Yep. No, I get it. And we said goodbye to fostering because my son needed all of my attention Mm -hmm. and all of my time. And he stayed with us for a year. Then in that year, he lost his grandpa on his dad's side. And so he wanted to go stay with his Nana to take care of her. And I'm like, if, if you can do better there, buddy, you go. Mm-hmm. So he went and he did not do better. Um, and he was in ninth grade and he dropped out and he wound up on the street and we wound up in Wisconsin and I kept texting him and I would say, when you're ready to come home, you just let me know. You just say the word. Uh We'll make space for you. And um, so he called me one morning at three o'clock in the morning and he was hysterical and he was high and he was drunk. And he said, can I curse on here? Yes, uh, honey, tell your story. Mm -hmm. He called me and he said, mom, I'm a piece of shit. You knew I was a piece of shit, and that's why you left. Oh, oh. My mama heart died in that moment. Died in that moment. And we spoke, and I said, baby, are you ready to come? You're not a piece of shit. I was a piece of shit, and I was sick, and I was the one who did wrong, not you. This is a disease and the disease started to kill our family. And that's on me, Mm. not on you. Mm -hmm. And he said, can I come back? And I said, you can come home anytime. So we bought him a ticket that morning. He flew home two days later and he was a substance user at that time. And his two-year-old was really pissed off. Mm -hmm. So here we have this 17-year-old pissed off Mm two-year-old. Emotionally, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, he started having dreams about killing me. And he had a knife. And he would kill me in his dreams. So he started leaving at night so that he couldn't kill me. But he didn't want to tell me. So we thought he was just using us as a flop house. Mm -hmm. We're like, dude, if you're not going to go to school, if you're not going to get a job, 
We're not going to be your flop house. That's mm-hmm. not going to work. Mm-hmm. My daughter called me. My oldest called me and said, Mom, he's not using you as a flop house. He's, he's afraid he's going to kill you. So he's gone at night. So we sat, we sat him down and we said, hey, look, boo, honesty and communication counts. If there's stuff going on, tell us. We can put locks on the doors. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to leave this as your home. Mm-hmm. So we did. We put locks on my door and every night I'd lock myself into bed so that I could feel safe and he could feel safe sure. knowing he didn't do any damage. His substance use, as it does, got out of control, and it just went wild. And um, at that time, I didn't know any other way besides the way that I got clean and sober, Mm -hmm. which was tough love. Mm -hmm. Sorry, we're not there. We'll be there for you when you're done, Mm -hmm. but not until you're done. Right. So that's what I did. And I threw him out and I said, when you're done using, you just come see me. He got his own apartment. He paid three months. He'd been saving money the whole time. He got his own apartment. Paid three months. And started prostituting people out of his apartment and started selling drugs out of his apartment. And he got arrested in his apartment. Mm. And I remember sobbing and sobbing. And I called my friend that helped me out in Wichita. You remember the one with the police officer Mm -hmm. husband who Mm -hmm. was my second? And I said, when does this end? When does it stop? When do I stop paying for my mistakes? And she said, Kathy, you stop whenever you're ready to stop. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're ready to stop kicking yourself. Whenever you're ready to stop punishing yourself. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. stops. Because this is something different. This isn't you. And I hadn't thought about that option, that maybe it isn't me. Maybe, just maybe it's the disease. And maybe this isn't about me and what I did, but him and how to help him. He went in and out and in and out and in and out of jail, in and out of prison for several years. My goodness. He got married to a girl and they had three children. And the first child, I met them when he was born and he was just so sweet. He was Mm. so special. And I was so just taken with this baby. And I thought, okay, every baby is a gift from God. Like, no, no, no qualms. Babies are a gift from God. Whether or not these kids can handle that, that's a different story. But I'm sure people thought the same about me. They'll be all right. Mm -hmm. They were not all right. They were still using, they were still drinking. 
we had their their child I'd say at least more than 70% of the time oh wow since he was born he would come and he would stay by us for days um and then they'd come back and then then they'd drop him back off for days and he'd have soiled diapers not be clean and after some drama and chaos I finally called CPS. I talked to my pastor and I called CPS and I said, hey, I think there's a problem here and this child isn't safe. I have a text from the mom saying child's not safe. Mm. So um, I'm not sure what you want to do, but I just thought I should call and say something. So they tried to call his mom and she wouldn't answer the phone. And So he stayed with us and he's still with us. And we have the divine privilege of being able to parent this child of my child. And every day in this child, who's 11 now, I see redemption. I see beauty. I see hope. And I see the tapestry that God has woven and the beautiful package that he's given me that was all my junk. My son had a second child and we, they tried hard to keep that one and they couldn't. So he came by us. Um, then my son kept getting arrested again. They were still using heroin and meth are really, really hard mm. Those are some hard, hard substances. Um, Alcohol, too. Like, okay, so all the substances are hard substances. Right. Um, And it just wasn't, they weren't, they weren't stopping. They weren't going to stop. So we got the second baby. And I realized we were doing the adoption for the first one at that time. And I realized the two kids were too much for me. I had um, severe COPD. Mm. Um, I was smoking then. And um, I was just not healthy. Because again, I have severe asthma. have my whole life. Mm -hmm. So I would go. We had a a two-story. And I would go down the stairs with one on one hip, one on the other but I couldn't walk them. I had to sit on my butt and scoot down the steps. I did this every morning with both babies because my lungs weren't well enough to hold me and the kids. So um, we wound up uh, adopting the oldest one. And for an adoption gift, we got an opportunity to go to Disney World so I asked my friend if she would keep the second one. Um, we call him Baby Michael. Mm. Um, my husband's name is Michael too, by the way. He named him after my husband. Oh, that's amazing. I thought that was, I thought that was really sweet. Very sweet. So um, we said, would you just watch him while we go to Disney? Because that's going to be a lot for us. She's like, oh, sure, we'll do that. They watched him. And on the way home, I remember we drove and we drove back and I remember sobbing hysterically and saying to my husband, I don't know. I like, I, 
I want the best for these babies. That had been my prayer the whole time, that God would bring his best for these babies. That was us, fantastic. If it was someone else, fantastic. But his best Mm -hmm. for these babies. Mm -hmm. But I was not the best for both of them because one of them cried all the time. The other one slept all the time. That did not mesh well. Mm. And so I cried because I just remembered how difficult it is and physically taxing it was. And we got home and I called my friend who had baby Michael and I said, hey. And she said, hey, um, can we keep him? And I said, pardon me? She said, we would like to foster him. Oh, wow. To adopt. That's amazing. But I said, I'm like, yes, you could do that. Sure. So he, the second one is with a friend of ours here in the greater Green Bay area. And then they had a third one. And the third one stayed with mom. My son went to prison. The third one stayed with mom for four years. And then mom's substance use. No, no came flooding back and her sister who lived in Tennessee called me and said, I know you have the first one. Would you please take this last one? They're going to hurt him. She's pregnant again. She's using drugs. Like it's not going to go well. So she called CPS. I called CPS. Her rest of her family called CPS and CPS called me and said, would you please take this, this child? And he was four. And so we did. We had him for two years. And it, he was such a joy. Oh, my goodness. He's a spitting image of my son. And then my son got out of prison and wanted his son. He wanted him. Mm-hmm. And because we had him in foster care and we were doing kinship care, it meant that he had an easier way to do it because instead of having to jump through his ex-wife's hoops, he only had to jump through CPS's hoops. Mm -hmm. Their hoops don't change, (laughs) right? Like there are no feelings involved there. It's just be a protective parent and you can parent. Mm -hmm. He found a community. He found faith. He found friends. He found hope. He found recovery. He started working a program. He started working with people. He got a job. He got an apartment. He got his son. Oh, that's wonderful. Right? He moved to Missouri to live by his dad. That relationship for the two of them was restored. Like, when I tell you restoration all over the place is, I'm not joking. Redemption (laughs) is real and it happens in recovery. And in recovery, it's recovery because we get back the years that we lost, right? Well, and we we get, we get, we get back better. We get back better. Well, we're we're coming, we're coming to the end of our time. Um, What would you, what would you tell that person who is listening 
that is um, in that hell right now. To the person who's still suffering, mm -hmm. there's hope. There's hope. And now there are so many more options than just the rooms. Mm -hmm. Those are a great option. Find a community of people because you're going to feel like you don't fit, but then you walk in to people that are like you mm -hmm. and you know exactly where you belong. Keep seeking. Keep seeking. Well, Don't and that's up. where, yeah, so I'll talk with someone who, you know, goes to a recovery meeting and they're like, well, it just didn't, you know, then keep seeking, keep, go to a different yes. one or go to a, you know, go keep seeking, you know, it's, it's when you find a church, that, yeah. check out yeah. Celebrate Recovery, mm -hmm. like Smart Recovery, mm -hmm. like there's so many options today right. and <clears throat> they're all valid. Yeah. They're all valid. Well, but I am. Don't. Go Don't ahead. give up. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. I'm so grateful for you joining me today. I think you're amazing, and I'm so glad that God has worked the way he has in your life. I, I, girl, you just, yeah, just keep on giving back. Your your story, you know, your your mess has become your message, and, and it's just, it's it's beautiful, the, the redemption that you've had in your life. Thank you, Christine. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Have appreciate a blessed a day. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back.